News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. My brother once wrote a song that says, anything worth having is worth hurting for. And I guess maybe freedom, liberty and justice for all, and the truth, by the way, along the way, are worth having. So I'm pretty sure they're worth hurting for. And many of us are doing just that. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Hopefully, your week is going well, and uh, it's going even better because you're darn close to a weekend, folks. One more day after today's show, and um, you're going to be in the weekend. Got a big weekend planned. Lots of football going on now. Have you noticed even last night at that uh, that congressional, was it a baseball game or a softball game? I think it was baseball, just regular baseball, um, where President Biden attended. I didn't see any mask. Now, wait a minute. The COVID gods in that stadium, he's in every stadium, and he goes around looking for anybody that's not wearing a mask, and he infects them with COVID-19. Even the president didn't wear a mask in, and there were throngs of people everywhere. And I mentioned that because looking around stadiums over the last couple of weekends, college and NFL, I don't see any mask. I don't see any social distancing. Now, I don't understand all this. I mean, just days ago, a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Anthony Fauci and the other medical experts were standing before television cameras, appearing on talk shows across the nation, every network. We've got to be careful. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, college football, you need to even think about not having any fans in the stadiums because COVID, COVID, COVID this, COVID that. What happened to all of that? Well, maybe it's just because of this. I just happen to know on a personal level, Dr. Anthony Fauci is a diehard fanatic for Washington's Major League Baseball team. He goes to every game, every home game he's there. Got great seats. So I guess maybe he made an exception for himself. And of course, to sell that to the American public, He's got to allow us to do the same thing. Although he never tells us that because he can't do that. That would contradict anything and everything he's ever told us. And of course, Anthony Fauci can't ever be accused of lying or giving up an untruthful suggestion about anything to do or anything not to do to us. After all, he's the smartest man in government, the highest paid one at that too. This is the kind of stuff that is driving me just bat crazy. I don't comprehend the lunacy, the idiocy that these people are using to control Americans. And it's insane. And then you look across the pond, we've got two of our friendly neighbors, not that far away. If you fly to Europe and go the northern route, which we all do, what that means is It's a shorter path to go up across northeastern U.S., like in Maine, up across Newfoundland, Greenland, and then over and then back down in the United Kingdom to get to places like London and Switzerland and Germany. 
If you go that route, you go right over Sweden and Norway, and both of those countries have opened their nation up, and they're just trusting their people to do the right things, which their people have proven they'll do. They'll social distance when it's appropriate. They'll mask up when it's appropriate. They'll medicate appropriately. They won't do stupid stuff, kind of like a nation that is built on freedom, liberty, and justice for all should allow, the government there should allow their citizens to have the same opportunities. That's Sweden and Norway. And don't you know our D.C. elites that are medical experts, Fauci and company, etc., they're all looking across the pond. And sadly, I will bet what I'm about to tell you is true. I'll bet a bunch of our folks are looking over there and are hoping, hoping against hope that people in Norway and Sweden have a pandemic setback because that would confirm in their minds and their hearts all the stuff we've told Americans, locking them down, scaring them to death. See, we were right. It's not about being COVID-free. It's not about not being sick. It's not about stopping some of these stupid things that are even killing Americans. And that's no longer a conspiracy theory, folks. It's factual. Medications that we were told would save lives. Remdesivir, prime example, it is creating massive numbers of total kidney failure across the nation. Mainstream media doesn't pick it up. Yet Dr. Fauci, he's the one that introduced us all to remdesivir, the miracle drug, and it was it was good for two reasons. It had nothing to do with its efficacy because it wasn't really tested and proven. It has to do with this. The only way you can get remdesivir is through an IV injection and at that particular time at the beginning of our pandemic, the only way you could do that is inpatient in a hospital, which always means if you check in to any hospital, your doctor refers you there, puts you in the hospital, and you have a COVID-19 diagnosis, that hospital from the federal government will get automatically a $30,000 pop just because they let a COVID patient come in. And should at any point in that trip to the hospital that patient be required to be ventilated, it's another fifteen grand, $45,000 per COVID patient. And then you wonder why so many people are hospitalized. And automatically, in the very beginning of the pandemic, we gave you stories from doctors, especially in Manhattan. They were bringing people into regular hospital through the emergency room, one older man came in with a broken leg. No other problems, no respiratory problems. Gets his leg fixed in the ER, and of course, as they did back then, every patient that comes in, gotta be tested for COVID. He tested for COVID-19, tested positive. They checked him into the hospital, cha-ching, 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 $30,000 for the hospital. For a guy that came in with a broken leg, and they give him a diagnosis in the ER, COVID-19, goes into the hospital. They put him on all kind of medication. 
drove his O2 content down in his body, had to put him on a ventilator to save his life. He died. That kind of stuff has happened, folks, over and over and over again. We're going we're gonna to let you hear a little bit later in the show this morning, maybe in our second hour, a little uh, editorial, not from me, but by someone from the outside that is looking in and is going to explain to us in about a three-minute period how the elites in America operate and the methods they use to operate and their end objective is to control us. And after you hear this gentleman explain this, you're going to say, that makes a lot of sense. I understand some things now. So what else are we going to do today? We're going to start this thing off with this crazy insanity at the U.S. Capitol that's going on all this week. Two things. They're consuming all the airtime. Well, actually, there are three. Um, the meetings that happened day before yesterday and yesterday, and first the Senate Armed Services Committee, and then yesterday the House of Representatives Armed Service Committee meeting with our Secretary of Defense, also the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and then the head of CENTCOM. Those generals were excoriated by some and uh, were defended by some for their actions regarding our crazy pullout out of Afghanistan. So we've got that. We have the, um, the reconciliation budget bill, little bill that Joe tells us and Nancy tell us Three and a half trillion dollars. That's not that's not much. Three and a half trillion, that's what they're telling us, but the experts, even though the bill hasn't even been written yet, and they want to vote on it this week. No bill. Nothing to look at. Three and a half trillion dollars. We've we've got a peekaboo that we're gonna tell you about in just a couple of minutes of a few things that are in it. It'll blow your mind. Hey, maybe it won't blow your mind. Maybe that's what we've all come to expect from our legislators, especially leftist legislators like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and their ilk. It's nauseating to me. <laughs> it's just flat out nauseating. We're going to talk about that. There are some Democrats that have jumped ship. And uh, to be quite honest, it's really looking bleak for President Biden because he's kind of put all of his eggs in this basket. These two bills, the infrastructure bill, little one, only one and a half trillion, maybe 1.2 trillion. The infrastructure bill that includes some infrastructure, but about the other 90% is slush fund for the Democrats in government. And of course, the big lie. Now, what's the big lie? Well, forget about what they called the big lie, Donald Trump losing that election unfairly in November last year. That's what they termed the big lie. The big lie now <laughs> has changed a bit. <laughs> the big lie is that all of that $3.5 trillion, all of that $1.2, $1.5 trillion in infrastructure stuff, all of that's not going to cost anything. Joe Biden, president, not going to cost anything. It's all going to be free. Ball face lies. One after another, every segment in it of the spending stuff they're talking about, it's all going to be paid for by taxing the rich. 
they forget about this, and they, they don't want Americans to think about this. Inflation is soaring right now. Everything's going up. We heard yesterday Dollar General. They came out at the beginning of all of this and said, it doesn't matter what happens, the inflation comes along. We're going to bite the bullet and eat it. They kind of came out sheepishly yesterday and said, Dollar General is now becoming Dollar Fifty General because of inflation. Their costs are through the roof. Do you know where tons of our costs are coming from, these additional costs? Listen to this. Our government weaponized COVID-19, turned it into a pandemic. Serious, egregious lockdowns. Companies having to close. All those kind of things we've beaten to death. You know all about those. But what nobody's talking about is we import much of the goods and the services that we market. Companies here market. They get their stuff to market to us in a capitalist society. Get them from other places. They're imported. So how do these import goods, how do they get here? 80% of them get here by ship. So what happened in the Biden administration and the lockdowns? You know where this is going. Ports on the West Coast, the Gulf Coast, the East Coast. People aren't working in those ports. So these ships come from China, come from South America, come from Europe, come from Africa, South Africa. And they come bringing all kinds of goods to us. And of course, China. Companies can't sell goods unless they can get them on their shelves. So every part of that process has been taken over by the Biden administration. What do you mean, Dan? They're not doing that. Companies still own themselves. Stockholders still own all these companies. One major corporation in the United States found a way to circumvent what I'm about to tell you. And so here's what's happening. People in all these ports. The biggest West Coast port is Los Angeles. It's not Los Angeles Harbor. It's a bay just south of that in the greater Los Angeles area. All those ships, if you go there today, if you fly out of LAX or John Wayne Airport in Orange County, going maybe going to Hawaii, wouldn't that be wonderful? Golly, maybe get somewhere and forget about this crap for a few days. You're going to fly over dozens of major cargo ships that are anchored just offshore. And the reason they're anchored there is they can't unload. They can't get the goods coming from China, coming from Australia, coming from other Southeast Asian countries. Because there's no port workers. There's no truckers. They're all locked down. And because of these stupid unemployment payments that the federal government have passed out willy-nilly to all the states and they've been doing what unemployment checks do, people stay at home and get paid. These dock workers don't want to come back to work. And until the money dries up, they're not going to. So what happens? Toilet paper, um, building supplies, everything you can imagine are in these shipping containers 
on these ships off the West Coast, off the Gulf Coast of Texas and Louisiana, and then on the East Coast of Florida, all the way up the East Coast. They can't get stuff off of these ships. And so when it opened back up in some places, what happens then? They fight to the ships and the companies that own the ships and the people that are standing at the port wanting all their goods to get off these ships. They're fighting on who gets to come in first. Now, who's that one company that figured this out? Walmart. Walmart, nationwide, is getting all of their products shipped in from overseas or coming through the port of Houston. And every ship that comes to Houston to unload that is a Walmart ship, they get to the front of the line. Now, how'd they get to the front of the line? Money. Money. Walmart. Corporate leaders in Arkansas all went to the port of Houston and sat down and handed the port of Houston a $150 million check so that all of the Walmart ships would be first in line. No matter when they come in, they're going to be put in front of anybody that's now in the port to unload. This is the United States of America. Our capitalist, our free market system, our capitalism, the way it operates and everything, it's supposed to be based on fairness, equal opportunity for everybody, every company, no matter how big or how small, and for certain, not being run by paying off to get an upper hand. That's exactly what's happening. And it's being promoted and it's being maintained and pushed and pushed and pushed by the Biden administration. That's the kind of crud we're dealing with. So in the middle of all of this, these two bills, these two pieces of legislation are at Congress, and we're told every day or so, we're told, hey, this one's going to come up and be considered on Thursday, on Friday. And then yesterday, Nancy Pelosi left the White House because she was scheduled to bring the infrastructure bill up for consideration, but she, or Denny Hoyer, who is the Democrat whip, in the House of Representatives. What that position is, Steve Scalise is that on the Republican side. But what the party whip does is they go around and they whip their fellow Democrat, in the case of Denny Hoyer, they whip the voters and the potential voters, they push them hard, they cut deals with them to get them over the line on a specific piece of legislation. Denny Hoyer couldn't get his job done. Or maybe it's not Denny Hoyer not getting his job done. Maybe Steve Calise got his job done and enough members in the House of Representatives are saying they're not going to vote positive for this infrastructure bill. So how did Nancy shortchange it? She didn't want to look bad. She didn't want to give Joe Biden his first massive legislative failure by not getting that passed in a Democrat-controlled majority House of Representatives. She left the building. So they couldn't make the call to bring that piece of legislation to the floor. And then across the other side of the Capitol in the U.S. Senate, Kirsten Sinema, Democrat senator from Arizona, and Joe Manchin, 
Democrat senator from West Virginia, they have both been towing the line, questioning the validity of trying to figure out a way to give any credibility to passing this $3.5 trillion bill that looks like it's going to be closer to $5 trillion. And they're just getting in all kinds of trouble with their fellow Democrats. Joe Manchin yesterday said he would not support, quote, spending trillions more on social programs, highlighting an ongoing dispute between the moderate Democrat and party leaders that threatens to derail negotiation on Biden's $3.5 trillion spending bill. In a long uh, statement on the negotiations, Manchin said he has made clear to the president and Democrat leaders that it would be the definition of fiscal insanity to greenlight more spending despite funding shortages for Social Security and Medicare. Manchin also cited concerns about the potential impact to inflation and the shaky U.S. economic recovery. He said this, while I'm hopeful that common ground can be found that would result in another historic investment in our nation, I cannot and I will not support trillions in spending or on an all-or-nothing approach that ignores the brutal fiscal reality that our nation faces. There's a better way, and I believe we can find it if we're willing to continue to negotiate in good faith. The left is demanding that Congress pass the full $3.5 trillion spending bill. Oh, by the way, nobody's got it. Nobody's looked at it. They're given little talking point sheets by leadership. The bill's still not completed in draft form, and they're wanting to vote on it this week. Progressives won't back down on delivering paid leave, free education, free health care, free child care, and climate action because of an arbitrary deadline. Now that was Democratic Representative Pramia Jayapal of Washington State. We're sticking to our deal and delivering for the people. Manchin's statement, it's followed days of, I mean, 24-7 intense dialogue between the top Dems regarding the contents of the bill And that bill, by the way, consists of social programs that were left out of a separate $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that the Senate passed. And the reason the Senate passed it was it was clean, basically. They cut all the crap out of it, and it became just an infrastructure bill. Biden met separately with Manchin and fellow moderate Democratic Senator Kirsten Cinema on multiple occasions throughout the week in a bid to find some common ground. Of course, if you listen to Jen Psaki, she's becoming more and more and more of a brain surgery patient wannabe because she says stuff from the podium in these White House daily briefings that I don't know where they come from. I think she takes her communication lessons from Joe Biden, because she's all over the place. I mean, she says stuff that is absolutely not based in any kind of factual information. And we're seeing this happen more and more and more by these Democrats every day. They just start spouting things as facts, and there's no truth in any of them. And here's what I'm trying to grasp, folks. I don't think all of these people are stupid. I really don't. 
I honestly think they have adopted that way of communication, not sticking an untruthful sentence or a few words in the things they say. I believe purposefully they are adopting a talking point, a whole plethora of talking points that are part of the big single deal. And they're okay with doing it. They've accepted it somehow, knowing that a huge piece of it is false. And so they just blow it out like it's no big deal, and whoever hears it or whoever sees it when they say it, you just better shut up and sit down and toe the line because that's the way it is. That's what we're dealing with right now. We're seeing it play out. And I think it's kind of cool that we're seeing the difficulty that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are having getting their minions lined up in the House and in the Senate to just toe the party line and forget about any substance. Substance, obviously, on all this stuff, it can't make any difference, folks. If it did, there was no way this any of this could even be brought to the floor of either chamber to be considered. So, Democrat senators now are warning of bipartisan infrastructure bill, the one that passed in the Senate. It's looking more and more like it's not going to pass at all in the House. Those same two Democrat senators, looks like they're going to kill the deal. They will not pass it today, we're being told, if it comes up for a vote. Enough of the House members understand that they would be gutting the Build Back Better agenda. Now, that's not coming from a Republican. That's coming from one Democrat lawmaker who is familiar with the internal discussions on this. Nancy's going to pull the bill. One of the two senators familiar said to the Hill, we're pretty sure she won't put it up for a vote. She'll meet with the moderates and she'll say, listen, I don't put these things up when the votes aren't there. It doesn't help your cause to see it fail. It doesn't help the president to see it fail either. Jayapal, by the way, she's the chair of the far-left Congressional Progressive Caucus that consists of 94 members. She threatened the passage of the bill a week ago, claimed last week 48 of her radical friends are willing to block the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, saying there won't be any infrastructure bill without the reconciliation bill. So you got $1.2 trillion over here that's sitting at the House. It's already been passed by the Senate. It's the bill that contains almost totally infrastructure, real infrastructure stuff. And then you have the boondoggle that they're pushing through to pass with reconciliation, which means they can do it in the Senate. If they get it over to the Senate, This is the House we're talking about now. If they can get it passed in the House and over to the Senate, it can go through the Senate with only 51 votes. It can be passed. And it looks like that's not going to happen. And it's just an ongoing over and over and over and over. So Joe Biden told us all, hey, this isn't going to cost taxpayers a dime. Anybody that makes $400,000 a year or less is not going to see a nickel more of taxes. 
Well, what Joe doesn't think that we know and understand are the tax increases that we're experiencing right now because of the policies he's put in and the policies he's kicked out since he took office eight months ago. What are you talking about, Dan? Inflation. Inflation, folks, doesn't respect economic sectors. Inflation impacts everybody if you make a paycheck. Well, wait a minute. Even if you don't make a paycheck, if you're on welfare, you got to go buy stuff. When you go buy stuff, what are you doing? You're paying more for everything. Give you an example. I ride a Harley Davidson, an ultra classic, and I always, I've had it for a number of years. When I refuel it, I refuel it with premium because it makes it run better. And I'm trying to make the, the engine last as long as I can get it to last. So when Joe Biden was elected, I, I paid $1.65 in my car the day of the November 3rd election. $1.65 a gallon. That was in my car, regular gas. I paid $1.72 for premium in my motorcycle. Yesterday, I hadn't filled my car up this week. Yesterday, uh, I was coming back from the prayer meeting I do every morning at 6 o'clock, and I pulled into my station that I normally do, and same station where I paid a dollar and let's see, a dollar seventy-two or five on November third. One of the two, three cents off. I paid three dollars for premium yesterday. That's inflation. So what that means is if if somebody who is unemployed and they're living off unemployment. Maybe they get some kind of other federal assistance and they pull up at that gas station. They're paying the same thing that I'm paying for a gallon of gas, whichever one I use, regular or premium. They're in the same boat. If they just use premium or if they just use regular, they're paying at least 30% more for a gallon of gas. Everybody in America is because of Joe Biden's policies. And it goes across the board. When transportation costs go up, shipping costs go up. The stuff happening at our border, at our ports, all of that impacts dollars and cents that you and I are paying simply because of this president and his policies. And it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. Listen to what he's done, and this kind of snuck out of this reconciliation bill overnight. Companies, if this bill should pass, companies that fail to adhere to the Biden administration's COVID rules, including the anticipated employer vaccine mandate that they're going to shove all the way down, every employee, they're going to have it. They're going to put this in place. Mandated universal vaccination is coming. It may not be successful at getting implemented and done nationwide. But they're going to try at first. And you know what it's going to take to not let it happen? The Supreme Court. But if they get that done, these companies could face fines up to $700,000. Thanks to Democrats who snuck the severe monetary penalties into the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill. Any company that does it 
could be subject to a $700,000 fine. So this bill includes multiple severe penalties that can be levied against companies that don't fall in line with the COVID-19 rules of the Biden administration. OSHA, remember? Joe Biden appealed to OSHA. OSHA has the federal law right to implement safety procedures in companies. That's the way they're doing it. Wow. This month, Biden also directed OSHA to develop a directive requiring employers with over those 100 employees to either mandate vaccines or mandatory testing requirements. That's not Joe Biden personally. That's the federal government. That's OSHA. That part of it's legal. So page 168 of the Democrats' massive spending package outlines fines as high as $70,000 for serious infractions of those rules, but it can go up to $700,000 for willful or repeated violations. If enacted into law, VAX enforcement could bankrupt non-compliant companies even more quickly than the $14,000 OSHA fine that's anticipated under Biden's announced mandate. Forbes magazine said this, if the legislation is enacted, OSHA could levy draconian fines to enforce Biden's vaccine mandate, a move that could rapidly bankrupt non-compliant companies. The Biden mandates affect employers collectively employing an estimated 80 million workers. So this sets up a bigger battle over these employer mandates. 24 Republican attorneys general have already notified Joe of they're going to take legal action if this dangerous and counterproductive vaccine mandate becomes a reality. They sent him a letter. 24 Republican attorneys general signed a letter that in part said this, quote, you propose to enforce your mandates through the rarely used emergency temporary standard provision of the OSH Act. According to the Congressional Research Service, the department has attempted to adopt an emergency temporary standard only on other times being used since 1983. That exception came in June of this year and is right now being challenged in court already. An emergency temporary standard does have to go through notice and comment and can be made effective immediately upon publication. Because of this lack of process and oversight, courts have viewed these standards with suspicion. Between 71 and 1983, OSHA issued nine emergency temporary standards. Of those six were challenged. The courts fully vacated or stayed the standards in four of those cases partially stated the standards in another and upheld only one of the six. If your administration does not alter its course, the undersigned state attorneys general will seek every available legal option to hold you accountable and uphold the rule of law. Now, what does all this mean, Dan? What it means, folks, is all the chaos that you're seeing play out on Capitol Hill all of the fear, all the strife, all the lack of work by our elected members in the House and the Senate, it's not only going to remain bad, it's going to get worse. Nothing's going to be resolved. 
And you remember in the past, all these Democrat policies that were passed, they ended up bills signed into law, anti-this and anti-that. You remember all that kind of stuff? What's the one word you heard Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer use over and over and over again? We got a mandate. We got a mandate. The mandate from the voters. Anytime they get a win, a mandate to me, and the mandate in legislation has always been, if you get it passed with something like two-thirds, that's a mandate. Two-thirds of the voters. But 50 and one more percentage point on top, I'm sorry. That's not a mandate. There will be no mandate on any of this, folks. And you'll hear them claim, oh, this is a mandate for us. The American people are saying, we need to be more powerful, so you've got to give us more power. We represent the people, and they want this to happen. They want big government to get bigger. You just got to arm yourselves with facts. And we've got more of that, a bunch more of that. We're going to go back. You didn't hear anything here yesterday regarding the House Armed Services Committee with our Defense Secretary, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and the leading general of CENTCOM that appeared before the House Armed Services Committee yesterday. Representative Matt Gates out of Florida, he just went nuts. I've, I don't think I've ever heard anybody in a congressional committee hearing get as in your face as Matt Gates got yesterday, and there's a lot more. Sit tight. Back in a minute. Are you ready for best life minus the burnout? I'm Zuri Hall from NBC's Access Hollywood, and my new podcast, Hot Happy Mess, is all about the most important VIP, you. Join us each Monday as we discuss relationships, self-care, career, and much more. Our podcast is for mindful, ambitious, diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness, laughter, peace, and purpose now. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Listen to Hot Happy Mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Married to the truth, divorced from the lies, fighting for the future. 
TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Let's get into some of the fallout over this Afghanistan debacle. Here's a couple of stories that just, they just frost me. Roughly one month ago, it's been that long now, as a disaster in Afghanistan was unfolding, and after the Biden administration failed to take any responsibility for the botched withdrawal, there were a handful of people, there were a handful of voices calling for accountability within the military. One of those voices was Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Stu Scheller. In a video released to his social media accounts, we played it here, you heard him give this, this statement. He called on top military brass to own up to their own failures and to admit they oversaw a botched operation in Afghanistan that left 13 troops dead, thousands of Americans needlessly stranded and killed in a suicide bomb attack, over 100 Afghan citizens. So, Scheller makes points asking why the Biden administration decided to abandon Bagram Air Base which is a strategic location that was well-fortified, would have left the U.S. military stage operations and maintain a safe exit point for citizens in the country that needed to get out. In the original video, he didn't name names. He just called for leadership, military leadership, to say, hey, we messed up, and take some personal responsibility. He admits that he would likely face consequences for speaking out of turn. But he says someone has to be willing to speak truth to power against an administration and a defense department that are intent on circling the wagon, ducking all accountability and not a single one of those leaders stepping forward to say we messed up. In years past, the Democrat Party used support speaking truth to power, especially when it meant speaking truth to those at the top of the military-industrial complex. Ain't happening today. Democrats are in charge of the White House and, by extension, the Department of Defense, so valid criticism from Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is not allowed. Well, that was back in August. I mean, we're almost to October. Tomorrow's the 1st. Fast forward to today. Reports now indicate that Lieutenant Scheller is in the brig, a military brig, and charges are pending. Yet, no charges have been yet brought. He is appearing, we are told, before a military judge today. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who recently garnered considerable attention for social media posts and videos demanding accountability, is now in military jail. This comes from the Marine Corps. He's in pre-trial confinement at the regional brig for Marine Corps installations east at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, pending an Article 32 preliminary hearing. Captain Sam Stevenson, a spokesman for Training and Education Command, said that yesterday in a statement to Marine Corps Times. The time, date, and location for that hearing hadn't been set early yesterday, but we were told late yesterday it's happening today. However, although confined, Scheller currently faces no charges under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's noteworthy, Scheller hasn't been charged with anything. He's kind of in the same pickle as a bunch of those January 6th folks that 
were involved in the Capitol incident up in D.C. A bunch of them were thrown in jail. A bunch of them still are in jail and haven't been formally yet charged with anything. Scheller's kind of sitting in that spot. His parents have spoken out in his defense, pointing that he's done, all he's done is ask questions, and he's demand accountability from his chain of command, as they would of him. As Scheller pointed out in his video, at anyone at his level, he's a 17-year Marine officer. If anyone has any kind of infraction whatsoever, they would have been reprimanded immediately. Instead, Biden administration folks walk around as if the Afghan situation was some kind of success. In fact, this president said it was a success. Kathy and Stuart Scheller Sr. stated that their son's command seems to be concerned, but the command does not appear to have the tools or the willingness to support him. And incarceration appears to be their only solution. All our son did, they said was asked the questions that everybody else is asking themselves, but are too scared to speak it. He doesn't deserve this treatment, his mom and dad said. Given the testimony that came out Tuesday, and then again yesterday, top generals indicating that President Biden ignored advice to keep some number of troops on the ground in Afghanistan, it would seem that Scheller's criticism is a little bit more valid today than it was when he did those two videos. Mistakes were made, and people died because of those mistakes. And those mistakes, folks, they weren't just something that slipped up at the last minute. Somebody made decisions, and whoever made those decisions caused Americans to die. Where's Joe Biden in all this? Where's that the buck stops with me thing that he said over and over and over since he became president? The Pipe Hitter Foundation, an organization that helps veterans in various ways, is backing Scheller, offering support to his family, and they're accepting donations for his defense. The lessons from this, I got to be honest with you folks, they aren't good. They're chilling. Rather than be taken seriously, since it's abundantly obvious mistakes were made in Afghanistan, and those mistakes go all the way to the top, in fact, they go all the way to the White House, Scheller is being relegated and treated like a common criminal, despite an unblemished, it is a stellar 17-year Marine record. A truly shameful display from the Biden folks and the top Pentagon officials who have not taken one ounce of accountability for dead soldiers, dead Afghan citizens, and even a drone strike that was to take out an ISIS-K big shot that killed seven kids. Nobody's taken accountability for that, yet they're using Scheller. they got to be using him as a shill. Somebody's got to be held accountable. Let's go get the guy that spoke out against us. I wonder if we could find out who made the call to arrest the lieutenant colonel and throw him in the brig. And I mentioned just a moment ago, we were talking about Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, a Marine, a St. Augustine Marine veteran, a raiding trial on charges of assaulting police on January 6th at Capitol Hill. He's died. 
John Stephen Anderson, age 61, died Tuesday at Baptist Hospital South in Jacksonville, Florida. His obituary was published by the St. John's Family Funeral Home in Jacksonville. His attorney, Marina Medman, confirmed his death and said in an email that Anderson was a good-hearted man. During a, a case status conference, that's what uh, they have when when an, uh, a pending case comes before a judge and they want to set facts and timing and all that kind of stuff. It's called a status hearing. It was held last Friday. And in that status conference hearing, the veteran's attorney informed the judge that his client had died. Cause of death hadn't been disclosed yet. He's a veteran. He was a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps and Special Forces Group, by the way. He was arrested in February in St. Augustine, charged with eight counts in connection with the Capitol riot on January 6th. He was charged with civil disorder, attacking police, theft of government property, entering a restricted building, or grounds were among the charges. In the charging documents filed in the D.C. District Court, the Justice Department claims that body camera footage shows Anderson using a police riot shield at the front of a group of rioters attempting to push through a line of law enforcement in the Capitol tunnel. During the melee in the tunnel, he was struck with a chemical substance discharged by a man in the crowd in the middle of the chaos. Then he was attacked with pepper spray by the police. Shortly after that, he began to experience respiratory problems, so officers eventually assisted him getting through the police line to get some medical attention. According to authorities, he was part of a crowd attempting to enter the Capitol through a tunnel while struggling with officers. However, his legal representation claims he was trapped by this crowd rushing into the Capitol complex and was unable to get out. Quote, John Anderson died an innocent man wrongfully accused. He never hurt or touched a single police officer. Video evidence proves this. I don't know if it's any accident, but he's just one of eight people from North Florida arrested and taken to federal court in Jacksonville for hearings in connection with that riot. Another, another uh, incidental death at the hands of our Department of Justice and action that they took. I just, I don't see how this is going to stop anytime soon. I just don't see it. And so while we're talking about hearings and judges and stuff, let me blow your mind. The Wall Street Journal published a report yesterday. Listen to this. Who are the, who are the most uh, nonpartisan people in our, in our government? Who are they? Well, we all know that. It's the court system, the judges. According to this report in the Wall Street Journal, 131 federal judges have been discovered to have violated the law by hearing cases involving personal interest or those of their own family members. These 131 federal judges. The research shows between 2010 and 2018, 685 cases in which judges acted on lawsuits involving companies in which they or their relatives 
on stock. In two out of three of these 685 cases, there were verdicts in favor of the companies where the judges or their relatives had financial interest. And then they were asked about this. Of course, the explanations given by the judges for these alleged violations were varied. Some said that the recusal lists contained spelling errors so that some cases could not be detected as conflict of interest because of the software they use. Others blamed their clerks. And also some said that the operations resulted in their personal losses. You want an example? How about Judge Lewis Babcock of Colorado? He ruled in favor of Comcast. And he or his family reportedly held somewhere between $15,000 and $50,000 worth of company stock at the time. Details of the case. A couple accused Comcast workers of scaring their 10-year-old daughter and hurting their dog and asked the judge, who was a Ronald Reagan-appointed judge, to issue an order that company workers don't enter their property to install fiber optic cable. Babcock's ruling was that the couple had blocked access to company workers and the case was sent back to state court. That's just what Comcast wanted. When asked about his violation there, the judge alluded to faulty internal procedures and thanked the Wall Street Journal for alerting him, assuring he would not make that blunder ever again. Another case in New York, Barack Obama appointed Judge Edgardo Ramos ruled that TGI Insurance Company owed $25 million plus $8 million more added by him to ExxonMobil Corporation in a pollution lawsuit. At that time, the judge held approximately $50,000 of Exxon stock. One court official said Ramos did not know of his violation because his challenge list included only the name of the parent company, ExxonMobil Corp., did not include the company in question, so the court's conflict detection software didn't find a violation because it's based on exact matches. On the other hand, court records say that at the beginning of the case, the unit reported it was a subsidiary of ExxonMobil, so that the appointed judge could evaluate a possible recusal or even a disqualification. The administrative office of the U.S. court said about the report, it's troubling that such cases have occurred in which no conflicts of interest were detected and that the administrative office is reviewing the matter. They also clarified that the federal judiciary places great importance on avoiding instances of financial conflicts of interest, so they're using screening software and ethics training to prevent violations in the future. Here's what I started to say the P word, but I won't. Here's what hacks off far more than half of the American people. When people who somehow get either appointed or elected to an office in state or federal government, it doesn't matter at what level, this is an example of it happening pretty much at every level. These are federal attorneys, they're all appointed. They don't have to run for office. They don't. They're supposed to just swear an oath and do their job and enforce the laws that 
are the state laws and the federal laws that come before them on cases. That's all they're supposed to do. But you can't tell me that in 685 cases, that's what this review covered, 685 cases, all of those, each and every one of those cases, these judges just kind of didn't have all the facts in front of them. What the heck are they there for as judges adjudicating over a, a, a case, a lawsuit? All of their decisions are supposed to be based on one thing and one thing only, the facts. Comparing the facts, the circumstances of what the case is about to what the law says. Nothing more. And it's just accidental? It's accidental that in two-thirds of 685 cases, it just was accidental these judges had a personal financial stake in the company that they ruled on behalf of in two-thirds of those cases. Listen, I may have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. This is gross, gross abuse of the people's trust in these federal judges. And this has got to be stopped. It's got to be stopped. Before we get to yesterday's House Armed Services Committee hearing in which Secretary of Defense, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, CENTCOM Director testified before the House Armed Services Committee. Before we get there, let me move back to this piece of legislation. You know what we found out is buried in this reconciliation bill. Amnesty. Amnesty for illegal aliens. It's a big deal for them. And of course, you remember a couple of weeks ago, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that that could not be included in this bill if it comes over and gets considered in the Senate. The Senate can't take up a bill that has this immigration thing included in it. It's against Senate rules. So Senate Democrats have said, we're not going to quit. They've moved to crafting a third and a fourth amnesty proposal after the parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, rejected the first two plans. They came up with two. She rejected the first. They changed it, came up with the second. And they're not through. They're coming back. Yesterday, early, McDonough, the parliamentarian, crushed a Plan B amnesty by Democrats that proposed changing the registry date in the Immigration Reform and Controls Act so that illegal aliens who arrived in the U.S. before 2010 could secure green cards. Democrats, they're dead set on including amnesty in this budget reconciliation less than two weeks after McDonough shot down their broader amnesty that would have given green cards to most of the nations somewhere between 11 and 22 million illegal aliens. Now Democrats are hinging their agenda on a last-ditch effort to get some kind of amnesty approved by McDonough so they can put it in this budget reconciliation bill. Wall Street Journal, once again, comes out with some information, digging and reporting, which is a good thing. Democrats have started crafting plans that would grant parole to most illegal aliens that are here. A little-known Department of Homeland Security maneuver 
allows the federal government, all they got to do is declare that illegal aliens provide a significant public benefit to the nation. This can be used to grant parole for a limited period to avoid deportation and for some secure green cards. Here's what the Wall Street Journal found out. One of those proposals wouldn't offer a direct path to citizenship, but it would give a more temporary set of deportation protections along with an opportunity for some immigrants to apply for green cards. The option would grant the population of immigrants in Democrat sites, the dreamers, holders of temporary protected status, farm workers, and other workers deemed essential, a temporary status known as parole. What that means is these immigrants are in the country legally and therefore aren't eligible to be deported. It would also allow immigrants who are currently otherwise eligible for a green card, such as through a U.S. citizen child or a sibling, to apply for a green card. For those illegals that would be given parole who have American citizen relatives or family members on green cards, under this plan, they would be allowed to apply for green cards thanks to the nation's chain migration policy. Chain migration, if you're not familiar with it, it allows an unlimited number of foreign nationals to get green cards so long as they have citizen or green green card holder relatives already living here. Five years of chain migration adds more people to the U.S. than one year of American births. Think about that. Five years of chain migration adds more people to the U.S. than one year of American births. Democrats and Biden are under intense pressure from the open borders lobby and corporate interests to ram through an amnesty in the Senate. A number of mass migration groups with corporate backers, big money folks, protested last week in D.C. demanding that Congress give naturalized American citizenship to illegal aliens in the U.S. Follow the money. Follow the money. All these big companies are looking for cheaper labor. That's what this is all about. And they may, they don't even try to hide it, folks. They don't even try to hide it. We're going to take our second break. When we, we come back, right, why don't we do this? Let's just go ahead and tell you this. I guess my thorn in the flesh right now in the Biden administration is DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. I know he's an attorney. He's a former federal prosecutor. He's an immigrant. And therefore, his heart is, according to him and many others, in the right place regarding illegal uh, immigrants and illegal immigration. I get all that. But he swore an oath when when he became a member of whatever bar. I don't know what state he passed his bar in but he became an attorney and he committed to support the rule of law. He understands the rule of law. Everything about it from top to bottom of it, all of the policies he's implemented that he's got Joe Biden to delete, like the remain in Mexico thing and all of these other things. I mean, just dumb it down all the way to enforcing the law about illegals coming into our country when they cross our border Anybody, I don't care who it is, and do so illegally, that's illegal. They're criminals. By law, they are. And there are penalties for doing so that are included in federal law. 
He's an officer of the United States government. He's supposed to. Homeland Security Secretary. He runs border law enforcement. That's what his job is. And he's just letting them come on in. Well, listen to this. Yesterday was at Georgetown University giving a speech. He revealed the extent to which federal immigration officials are encountering sick border crossers who are carrying viruses and diseases. He said, we're confronted with a population of people that as a general matter that have a rate of illness of approximately 20%. He said, when one is speaking of 7,000 or 7,500 people encountered at the border every day, if one takes a look at the system, it's not built for that in a COVID environment where isolation is required. Can you believe he said that? Can you believe he knows that and understands that? But yet, there is no testing process for COVID involved in the Homeland Security Department, period. They don't test these illegals. So every day, his words, seventy-five, as many as 7,500 people encountered at the border every day, of which he says 20% are COVID positive or have some other serious disease and they don't even test for him. Saki, of course, when she was asked why that testing isn't happening, Jen Saki, brain surgeon of the White House, said this, they're not intending to stay here for a lengthy period of time. I don't think it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Well, according to Fauci and company, one of Mayorkas's, I guess, lateral compadres in the federal government, according to Fauci, if you even look at somebody that has COVID, you're going to get positive. Or if they look at you, yet alone, 6,500 of them every day coming in, of which according to Mayorkas, 20% of them, that's a few thousand, are sick. And he's not doing, Mayorkas didn't do anything about it. How does this guy not get impeached? I mean, his actions are the definition of what impeachment is all about. He can be, and he should be impeached by the U.S. Senate. Is it going to happen? Chuck Schumer's the majority leader in the Senate, folks. He, he lives, breathes, eats, and sleeps, and even poops democracy, Democrat Party policies. Mayorkas is not going to get impeached. It would take two-thirds. It's not going to happen. And so what happens in the interim? There are a bunch of sick people. There are a bunch of COVID-positive people that are primarily coming into our nation along the Texas border. Now think about if you live in Texas. If you live in South Texas, what the heck does that mean to you? It means the odds are much higher now that you and your family and your businesses, your employees, people that you rely on in your business, in your community, are going to get sick, and some of them are going to die because of Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security. At Accio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? 
by putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls, pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today. Hashtag hot and modern. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds, roller derby? Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. Calm. Voice of reason, calm. <laughs> I think you probably would agree that I'm anything but calm. Well, we've got a little inside skinny. It appears that Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley privately, remember this, he appeared before the Senate Armed Services Committee on Tuesday along with uh, Secretary of Defense and the commander of CENTCOM. He wouldn't take any responsibility for anything. Senator Josh Hawley and others, they confronted him. He wouldn't take Liability. He never confessed that there were any bad choices or decisions that were made by leaders in the Afghanistan removal. Now, he did admit that those 13 deaths of those military service members was horrible and it was a travesty, but he never took any kind of accountability. Well, he privately has blamed the State Department for the United States botched evacuation from Afghanistan. And he did that in a classified briefing after the first one that we saw on television. And it was a briefing with those same Senate lawmakers. He accused the Biden administration of waiting too long to sign off on operations out of Kabul's chief airport. Axios reports it this way. Those private remarks were far more blunt than Milley's public testimony in which the nation's top general said the issue of whether the order should have been given earlier is an open question that needs further exploration. 
One senior State Department official pointed to the fact that, as Milley himself repeatedly testified, nobody believed that the Afghan security forces would collapse in 11 days. Milley's comes prior to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin publicly blaming the State Department for the hasty evacuation from Afghanistan. The call on how to do that and when to do it is really a State Department call, Austin told Representative Jen Langevin, a Democrat of Rhode Island, during yesterday's House Armed Services panel hearing. Their concerns rightfully were that, number one, they were being cautioned by the Ghani administration that if they withdrew American citizens and SIV applicants at a pace that was too fast, it was going to cause a collapse of the government that we were trying to prevent. And so I think that went into the calculus, the Pentagon chief added. A number of things kind of came together to cause what happened to happen. But again, we provided our input, and we certainly would have liked to seen it go faster or sooner. Does that sound to you in any remote way at all? Does that sound like an admission of responsibility? Does that sound like somebody's taking a position of accountability. Well, think on that for a second. Da, 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 da. No, it doesn't, and it doesn't sound that way to me. And it certainly did not sound that way to Representative Matt Gates of Florida yesterday. Listen closely to what Gates had to say to the trio. Our Secretary of Defense our chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and the commander of CENTCOM. That's the commander over all the military in Asia. Here's Gates. February 26, 2020, House Armed Services Committee, General Mark Milley. We know we're not going to defeat the Taliban militarily, and they're not going to defeat the government of Afghanistan militarily. You really blew that call, didn't you, General? I believe that that was a issue of strategic stalemate and that if we had remained in Afghanistan uh, with advisory levels of effort, then the government of Afghanistan... Well, that's that's an interesting answer to a question. It's just not one I asked. You spent more time with Bob Woodward on this book than you spent analyzing the very likely prospect that the Afghanistan government was going to fall immediately to the Taliban, didn't you? Not even close, Congressman. Oh, really? Because you said right after Kabul fell that no one could have anticipated the immediate fall of the Ghani government. When did you become aware that Joe Biden tried to get Ghani to lie about the conditions in Afghanistan? He did that in July. Did you know that right away? I'm not aware of what President Biden... You're not aware of the phone call that Biden had with Ghani where he said, whether it is true or not, We want you to go out there and paint a rosy picture of what's going on in Afghanistan. You're the chief military advisor to the president. You said that the Taliban was not going to defeat the government of Afghanistan militarily, which, by the way, they cut through him like a hot knife through butter. And then the president tries to get Ghani to lie. When did you become aware of that attempt? Well, there's two things there, Congressman, if if I may. One is what I said was the situation was stalemate. And if we kept advisors with there, the government of Afghanistan and the army would have still been there. That's what I said. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But it seems wrong now. With well, the Taliban we withdrew all the, we withdrew Secretary all the advice. Austin. Secretary Austin, are you capable of assessing whether another has the will to fight? No, we're not. And uh, that's the point that the chairman made earlier. So. 
That's just like an incredibly disappointing thing for the Secretary of Defense to simply say, I can't assess whether someone has the will to fight, but it is consistent with your record. I mean, during the Obama administration, I think they gave you about $48 million to go train up some folks in Syria to go take on the Assad government, and I think your testimony was that only four or five survived first contact with the enemy. So what confidence should this committee have in you or should the country have in you when you've now confessed to us, and whether it's the swing and a miss in Afghanistan that General Milley talked to the Senate about yesterday, total failure, or whether it was your failures in Syria, you don't seem capable to look at a fighting force and determine whether or not they have the will. Well, Is recall, that an embarrassing? recall, Congressman, that uh, the end result was a, a, uh, uh, the SDF that we stood up that was very, very instrumental in turning the, the, the tide of, uh, of, of battle up in Syria. Oh, yeah. Turn, turned it so much. You've got Assad in power in Syria. You've got the Taliban in power in Afghanistan. I mean... Where have you been? The focus was the focus was ISIS, Congressman, and we and, and those forces uh, had significant uh, effect on on the well, ISIS it, network. It just seems like you're chronically bad at this, and you have admitted that, I guess, which is to your credit. But you know, when when people in the military, like Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, stand up and demand accountability when they say that you all screwed up, when they point out that General Milley's statement that the, Tal you know, that, that the government of Afghanistan is not going to get defeated by the Taliban, well, he ends up in the brig. And you all end up in front of us, and your former employer Raytheon ends up with a lot of money, and we have poured cash and blood and credibility into a Ghani government that was a mirage. It fell immediately. And while the guy sitting next to you was off you know, talking to Phil Rucker and was off doing his thing with Bob Woodward, we were buying into the big lie, the big lie that this, that this was ever going to be successful and that we could ever rely on the Afghanistan government for anything at all. You know, General Milley, you kind of gave up the game earlier when you said you wanted to address elements of your personal conduct that were in question. We're not questioning your personal conduct. We're questioning in your official capacity going and undermining the chain of command, which is obviously what you did. You, you've created this whole chain, did not undermine the chain of command. And, and yeah, you did. You absolutely did. And it, did not. Well, you know what? You said yesterday that you weren't going to resign when senators asked you this question. And I believe that you guys probably won't resign. You seem to be very happy failing up over there. But if we didn't have a president that was so addled, you all would be fired because that is what you deserve. You have let down the people who wear the uniform in my district and all around this country, and you're far more interested in what your perception is and how people think about you in insider Washington books than you care about winning, Gentleman's which this time group has seems expired. incapable of doing. Representative Matt Gates from Florida. I, um, he got really heated, and it, it, it was saddening for me to watch that just a few questioners later, Liz Cheney. You know who Liz Cheney is, Republican from uh, Wyoming. She's the daughter of Dick Cheney that served in both of the Bush White Houses. Um, she has been outed as being a never-whatever, a rhino, Republican in name only, anti-Trump, the whole nine yards. And... Um, she came forward and felt it was incumbent upon her at the beginning of her questioning to uh, apologize for not just Representative Gates, but everybody else that had come before her that got serious in asking these three 
salient questions that needed to be answered. Gates just put it out there, folks. And I tell you this, he echoes the thoughts of a lot of other Americans. I'm one of them that says when this kind of stuff happens, somebody's got to step forward in leadership. You know, Joe Biden stands at a podium and says, the buck stops here. He's not taking personal accountability for any of the travesties that happen in Afghanistan. And here are the three guys that are directly below him in the military that had sole responsibility for all of the decisions, the final things, the planning or whatever. Now, yes, the president had to agree to it. But what does Biden do? Biden doesn't know anything about the military. Bob Gates, former Secretary of Defense, also former leader of the CIA, he said about Joe Biden two years ago that every foreign policy decision Biden ever made when he was in the Senate, 40 years, 40 plus years, every decision he made was wrong, according to Gates. So what did Biden do? He just listened to what his military leaders at the Pentagon recommended be done, and they did it. And they were wrong, and Americans died. And there are still Americans that because of their choices, their decisions, are caught behind enemy lines in Afghanistan with no way of knowing for certain that they're going to survive. And this is going on when they see the Taliban. They, the Taliban killed four people and hung their bodies in city squares around the nation of Afghanistan the last three or four days. That's a signal. We're looking for you. And they know who the Americans are there. How do they know? Well, it's because Secretary Blinken, Secretary of State, acknowledged that they gave to the Taliban a list of the Americans that were behind enemy lines that the State Department said we're going to facilitate getting these people out. That was before August 31st when we were supposed to have everybody out. So the Taliban already know who these people are that are still there, these Americans. Nobody wants to take accountability for any of that. And I don't know what that is. I really don't know. I could could allege this and allege that, and I'm not going to do that. But what I do know is somebody is responsible. And it's not the lieutenant colonel who was in the brig simply because he asked of his leaders, the ones that he serves with and serves over him, he serves under them, he wanted them to take responsibility for his fellow service members that got killed because of bad decisions made by leadership. We're supposed to have the strongest, the most powerful, the most organized, the most ready military on the planet. And with these mamby-pambies that we've watched for two days sit there and look absolutely stupid in the face of questions about the results of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I mean, they look stupid. And they definitely, they refuse to take accountability for what was done. And it started, you heard about Milley. He said privately in a classified hearing, it was the State Department, it was the State Department. 
I'll give one of the three credit for one thing. McKenzie. McKenzie. He's the commander of CENTCOM. He took responsibility for that drone strike that killed those seven civilians, Afghan civilians. He said it was his fault. That's leadership, folks. That's leadership. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I have no clue what's going on. I can't even describe this or explain it. And it gets even worse. We've still got this mess going on down at the southern border. I know the Biden administration folks, they're really pleased when there's something else that goes on on a bigger stage maybe that draws the attention of the world and the American people away from what's going on at the southern border. But it's still it's still happening. It's just as bad, maybe even worse than we think. Do you remember that Remain in Mexico policy of the Trump administration? Remember how good it worked? That was a deal that Biden, he ditched it. First day in office, he canceled, he terminated the Remain in Mexico policy that former President Trump had personally negotiated with the president of Mexico. And that's a policy where, while this pandemic was going on, anybody that wanted to come across the border from Mexico into the United States to seek asylum, they would register with Border Patrol, but they would have to go back across the Rio Grande Valley to an encampment that was managed by the Mexican government to wait there until it was time for those asylum seekers to come back and go into court in America to have their asylum claim adjudicated. And so a lot of things happened there. Number one, they we knew where they were. They were being taken care of. They weren't here, but it also dissuaded a lot of the others that had been flooding north to know that just because they got over into the U.S., they were not automatically going to get to stay here. And it worked really, really well. Apprehensions of illegals coming across the southern border plummeted in the wake of that because they quit coming in large. Biden ditched it. That was really smart, wasn't it? That remain in Mexico policy is really the migrant protection protocols. And of course, when Biden ditched it, state of Texas and other states, they appealed that, filed a suit against him, and a court ordered the Biden administration to reinstate the program. So you would think, hey, the court said it, so we got to do it. Well, they've never done it. The Department of Homeland Security announced yesterday the agency intends to issue in the coming weeks a new memorandum terminating the policy. In other words, they're changing the verbiage. They're not going to reinstate it as that federal judge told them to do. He ordered to reinstate the remain in Mexico. And then they appealed that the Biden administration, and the Supreme Court refused to block the decision of that judge last month. So DHS, rather than doing what the court said to do, hey, we're going to revise and issue a new memorandum terminating the Remain in Mexico policy. They noted that although the department issued a June 2021 memorandum that terminated it, a Texas district court vacated that prior termination determination and issued an injunction that requires the department to quote-unquote work in good faith to restart 
the Remain in Mexico policy. The White House appealed that injunction. DHS says that with its forthcoming new memo, they're confident the agency is going to address successfully the concerns raised by the courts with respect to the prior memorandum. The agency says they've been following the federal judge's orders and have been working in good faith to restart it. Yeah, right. Texas Attorney General Paxton disputed that. He and fellow Republican Attorney General Eric Schmidt of Missouri sued the Biden administration again last week, claiming the administration has been stalling rather than following the court order to reimplement the program. Trump's Remain in Mexico program was a massive success, Paxton said. Biden refused to enforce it. We sued. He lost. He dragged his face. We sued again. Now he plans to get rid of the program altogether. This administration, this is Ken Paxton, Texas, this administration is a disaster speaking about the Biden administration, acting in bad faith, destroying our border and communities. I'll do everything I can to ensure that he doesn't eliminate the Remain in Mexico policy. So that's Ken Paxton down in Texas, the Attorney General. Well, there are a bunch of other people down there that disagree with the Attorney General. One of them, out of Houston, my that's where I was born, Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat representative from Houston. She disagrees. And she yesterday, in the House of Representatives, got the microphone in a committee hearing. And she weighed in on exactly what's going on. you got to listen closely. If you thought you knew everything going on down there or anything about what's going on down there, who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad, let me just say this. Sheila Jackson Lee wants to set you straight. And she did with this. Uh, I thank you, Chairman. Uh, the, the, the goodness uh, that I want to uh, express is thank goodness for the goodness of the Biden administration combined with an effective law enforcement structure for securing our border. Uh, thank goodness uh, for the Border Patrol agents who have consistently worked, uh, many of whom I have known uh, for years and worked with as a resident of Houston and an active member of Judiciary and Homeland Security, having uh, led border security committees, transportation security committees, been to the border any number of times. Uh, let me pronounce to my friends that the border is both sovereign and secure. It is obviously subjected to biased and unfair narratives for political purposes. Oh, don't you just feel warm and fuzzy. There's a federal lawmaker represents, I don't know, a huge number of Texans, and she just put it out there clear as could be. Everything's okay. Law enforcement at the border, they got it going on, folks. They're keeping us safe. Ah, uh, forget about Mayorkas telling us that 20% of those illegals that come in are big time sick. Forget about that. Forget about the COVID problem that South Texas has had because of those particular law enforcement folks down there that Sheila Jackson Lee says, you're just doing a great job. Ooh, she feels warm and fuzzy. That's crazy. 
crazy. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun. And you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. You know, there's a lot of plans that the Democrats had and things that Biden and other Democrats that were running for office back in 2020. A lot of them promised they would do if they got elected. And one thing that they were all serious about when really dangerous thing, probably the most dangerous thing they were discussing was adding to the Supreme Court a number of justices. And their reasoning, although they dodged it left and right, was they feel like this makeup of the Supreme Court has got a conservative majority. And so they're scared to death. The big case that they're worried about is, of course, Roe v. Wade that's coming up now, we've been told, for consideration, the Mississippi law, uh, in December of this year. They're afraid of losing that particular way to justify and confirm Roe v. Wade as being constitutional, which they feel like will keep abortion at will nationwide for a definite period of time. So they are talking about finding ways to pack the court. Well, conversation has come up about it now. It's been going on all along, but I mean, with all the uproar about Afghanistan and the southern border and these huge, massive tax bills before the the U.S. Congress, all this has kind of gotten lost. Ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, he's a Republican. By the way, he's 90 years old, and he's announced he's running again for re-election. Yesterday, he said calling a normal Supreme Court procedure like the emergency docket, and we talk about the emergency docket every once in a while, that's when the court hears last-minute cases in a shortened time frame so they can rule on them because of a, a big, important time problem. Democrats have been calling that a shadow docket. It's their latest attempt to change public opinion about the court so they can add more justices. they got to get the public on their side. 
and the public right now aren't on the side of packing the court. That's according to polling information that's out there. Some Democrats have said the court needs to heal itself. That's their words. The court needs to do that, they say, before the public demands that the court is restructured in order to reduce the influence of politics, which is what they want to increase the number of justices for. That's a fancy way of saying that if the ruling don't change, they're going to try to pack the court. So this campaign by the left against the court and against individual justices has really hurt the American people. It's a bunch of dishonest rhetoric. It doesn't help the American people understand the real issues. And Senator Grassley, he said he's going to continue fighting against the partisan efforts by dark money groups to attack our judiciary. So chairman of that committee is Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois. Durbin argued that the emergency docket is intended to be used only when, quote, the party seeking relief is likely to prevail and irreparable harm is likely to result if the temporary relief is not granted. The Supreme Court has now shown that it's willing to allow even facially unconstitutional laws to take effect. When the laws aligned with certain ideological preferences, constitutional rights for millions of Americans should not be stripped away in the dark of night, even at the Supreme Court. This is Durbin talking. That has exactly happened when the Supreme Court did its bidding at midnight on September 1, and the Supreme Court allowed it. He was referring to the ruling by the court on the law passed by the Texas legislature that prohibits most abortions after week six of the pregnancy. So in response to the new Texas abortion law, abortion providers and advocates alleged the law was unconstitutional in light of the Supreme Court's 73 decision in Roe v. Wade. Whole Women's Health, Planned Parenthood of Greater Texas, and other providers asked the court, the Supreme Court, to stop the Texas law from going into effect in an emergency appeal after the district court canceled its state appeal. So the ruling by the Supreme Court on that motion was struck down, 5-4 ruling. And the court said it would let the Texas law stand. That's ahead of lower court battles over whether it's constitutional. Now, what's in that Texas law? Well, it bars doctors from performing abortions unless they have tried to detect a fetal heartbeat and been able to do so. Only if a heartbeat cannot be detected can the doctor perform an abortion unless a medical emergency does exist. So yesterday, in that committee hearing, Durbin, Durbin convenient to consider if the Supreme Court emergency docket ruling in favor of this abortion law shows that the highest court in the nation needs to change its procedures or be restructured. It's already too late for many Texans whose rights have been suspended, Durbin said, and who have been forced to leave the state to seek reproductive health care, that the Constitution has already guaranteed them, but it's not too late for the rest of the country and the court to change course. Republicans obviously don't agree. They say the emergency docket is not extraordinary or secret, but it has its place in the judicial process. As a matter of fact, Democrats, Democrats, 
Democrats set these rules for this emergency basis for the courts to use. What they're calling a shadow docket is the ordinary operation of every court that's been in existence since the ratification of our Constitution, whether it's a district court, a court of appeals, or the U.S. Supreme Court. That's what Ted Cruz said. Without the court's emergency docket, how can litigants whose fundamental rights are at stake seek immediate relief? They can seek it from lower courts, but there's no principled reason why the lower court necessarily should have the last word as opposed to the highest court. Democrats argue that the use of the emergency docket has gone up since former Donald, uh, former President Trump was elected, but witness testimony from Stephen Vladek, University of Texas School of Law professor, to the committee shows that the use of the emergency procedure by the court started going up in 2014, and it's continued to go up since Biden was elected. For a court that expressly defines its legitimacy by its ability to offer principal justifications for its decisions, its inability, indeed its refusal to do so on a shadow docket, has equally troubling implications for the rule of law. That's according to Vladek. Josh Hawley, Republican senator from Missouri, echoed the assessment that Democrats want to restructure the Supreme Court because of the conservative majority in the court. This hearing's about threatening an institution of our government to rule the way the extreme left of the Democrat Party wants it to rule. And it goes on and on and on. They'll never reach a consensus. And so they're going to continue, the Democrats are, to try to attack and restructure the court so that they can get a majority of the justices to be Democrats. Now, here's the problem with that. I guarantee you, our forefathers, if they were sitting listening to this, they would just shake their heads. This is the very reason why they made the Supreme Court to be non-political. Justices are appointed, lifetime appointments, so that they never have to run for office, which means they never have to get in the middle of political arguments. And if they do they certainly would not have a potential conflict of interest because of their political leanings. And now this Democrat, the far left, the party, is doing everything they can to find a way to overturn what they view as a conservative court. And it's not, folks. There are justices on the bench in the Supreme Court that have been known to have conservative leanings that are making anything but conservative determinations when they consider cases that come before them. In fact, many people, many conservatives are angry at some of those justices like Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Kavanaugh Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett. Those two have ruled against what many people thought were sure things because of cases that come in front of these conservative justices and they've been ruling against them. And I, I, when I hear that, here's what it does. It makes me nod my head. Yes. Because when it happens, not because I like the outcome of the, of the ruling, but it's because the court is not supposed to be political 
in its considerations of cases of any kind for any reason. It's supposed to be based on how each of these cases line up against the U.S. Constitution. That's all it's supposed to be about. There are things, there are laws, there are segments in the U.S. Constitution that every American doesn't necessarily agree with, one or two or three or four of them. And in that case, those all have to be dealt with by the Supreme Court justices based upon not their interpretation, but the law. As the Constitution says, so it is supposed to be done. I may have taken too long on that, but I wanted to point that out to you, that that's what's happening right now. That's what's going on. A couple of more stories I want to bring to you, and then I want you to hear this this short editorial segment talking about the elite class, how they're doing what they're doing and what their end game is. The first one, do you remember former uh, Obama administration health and human services secretary? Remember Kathleen Sebelius? Remember her? She was the one that ushered in Obamacare. She put all that together. Well, she's been kind of quiet since she left a White House administration. But uh, yesterday, she was on MSNBC's All In. And on that show, she said that Americans who have not yet received a coronavirus vaccine, listen to this. She said that people that are in that category are like secondhand smoke and that they can make people sick. Here's how she justified that. Quote, I think what President Biden has done is balance between what the science says and trying to cajole, encourage, make it easy for people to follow the science. When that turned out not to be as effective, then he turned to more hardened mandates. But what people don't have a right to do is make other people sick, put other people in jeopardy, risk other people's lives, risk children's lives. So I think the president has been walking a line of balancing science and safety and security at every step along the way, hoping that the mass majority of the American public would follow that lead. And she added, it's a lot like secondhand smoke. You have a right to be a smoker. The science is very clear what smoking is going to do to you what cancer will be caused, what kinds of health conditions. But you have a right to be a smoker. You don't have a right to smoke next to my desk to blow smoke on people, on my children, to force me to live in a housing facility where I am subjected to more smoke. That is a line that we have in this country which delineates what your individual rights are. I think we're looking at a very much same situation. OSHA, you're absolutely right has always provided guidance and mandates about safety in a workplace. This is not a safe workplace if I'm working with a person that may make me and my family sick. That's not acceptable. One response for you, former secretary. Hey, you believe in vaccines? You got vaccinated? Why'd you get vaccinated? Because vaccines, we are told, you get it. You ain't getting sick. So if you're worried about getting sick, you must not believe in that vaccination. So the unvax that you say you're worried about, it's like chain smoking and getting secondhand COVID-19. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to worry about it. Maybe the truth is you do worry about it 
because you know vaccines are not working like they're supposed to. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> ah! Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. We are the law. Accountant. The law accounting. I know what you're thinking. Are we lawyers? Are we accountants? Well, it's a complicated question, probably requiring the services of a lawyer and an accountant. Is that us? Well, what do you think? Seems to me that there's a lot of you out there who might need the use of the law accounting. But that's not legal advice. That's life advice. In fact, we're legally barred from providing legal advice. The Law Accounting. Officially unlicensed since 2005. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Taking aim at the noise, the lies, and the disinformation of mainstream media. Your warrior of the facts. Here's Dan Newman. Warrior of the facts. You heard Sebelius there. She's griping about secondhand smokers or secondhand COVID-19 infections. If you're vaccinated... You don't have to worry about getting infected by someone who has not been vaccinated. Well, that's the case unless, of course, your vaccine isn't working. And that appears to be more and more what's happening. Listen to this. 80% of COVID-19 deaths in August, according to public health data, 80% of COVID-19 deaths in August came from vaccinated people. In other words, the deaths in the United States that happened, COVID deaths that happened in August, 80% of those were people that had been vaccinated. So here's the salient question. Do COVID-19 jabs really work? I don't think they do work. I think they may in some. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I can't say. But what I do know, when we have a whole month that goes by and across our nation, 80% of the people that had COVID and died, 80% of those had been fully vaccinated. (sighs) I don't know, folks. If it quacks and waddles, it's a duck. And in this case, the dust is quackling. And it's quacking about vaccinations not working. That's a scary situation. 
And I think more and more every day we're going to find out. Now, I'm not saying, I, I am not saying that's the case. I'm not at all. My saying that absolutely is the case would be no different than somebody saying with no hesitation, no room for their possibly being wrong in their opinion, saying that if you don't get vaccinated, you are going to get COVID-19. Neither one of those can state those things factually, or they can say whatever they want to, but they don't have any valid reason or justification to do so. Before we go, I wanted you to hear this. An explanation of the elites, the ruling class, how and exactly what they are doing and trying to do and why here in the United States. I want you to listen to this very carefully. Turn your sound up. The administrative state is anti-constitutional. It's the rule of the few for their own sakes. A distinct and insular class of people, rather than a trained elite, corrupt and distant from the people whom they rule. The administrative state is openly hostile to the Constitution. It allows for myriad methods of policymaking. In reality, at the end of the day, it represents a return to pre-constitutional government. The administrative state today is, rather than the aristocracy that the progressives hoped it would be, simply an oligarchy. It's the rule of the few for their own sakes. A distinct and insular class of people, rather than a trained elite, corrupt and distant from the people whom they rule. They're supported by a coterie of clientele groups who depend upon the modern administrative state for privileges and benefits. The average person in this system is systematically and fundamentally disenfranchised. Policy is not made for his benefit, and he is largely unable to control the machinery of the state. In sum, the administrative state is the antithesis of constitutional government and cannot even live up to the expectations of its progressive founders. The administrative state intrudes upon even the minutest aspects of people's lives. The federal government dictates the amount of water that you can have in your washing machine and in your dishwasher. The federal government dictates the content of the light bulbs that light up your house in the evening. They dictate the composition of the spouts on the gas can that you use to fill your lawnmower. They've determined that the ordinary gas can spout allows for too many fumes to escape. And so instead, they created a system which is all but impossible for the ordinary person to use and probably causes more spills anyway. The federal government dictates to the manufacturers of step ladders the angle at which the ladder must be placed when they test it for the sake of determining its weight rating. Meanwhile, we might note, the administrative state seems to be sincerely uninterested in performing the tasks that our founding fathers expected legitimate government to perform. Major cities have chronic amounts of unsolved murders, which they never seem to bother to get to in many cases. The city of Detroit discovered several years ago a backlog of thousands of unprocessed rape kits that took more than a decade to finish. The mayor of Portland, Oregon, seems perfectly content to allow Antifa to take over the streets of the city and to enforce the laws themselves. And Portland is one of a number of examples of progressive cities on the West Coast, which also seem perfectly content to allow their cities to become mountains of drugs and human excrement. At the national level, our government, or at least much of our government, 
seems to be deeply unconcerned for maintaining our territorial integrity in the face of thousands, if not millions, of illegal immigrants coming into the country, and thus unconcerned with protecting the basic sovereignty of the United States. So that's another way that we can think about the anti-constitutionalism of the administrative state. That is to say, it inverts its priorities. It becomes intensely focused on things that legitimate government ought not to do, and it neglects the things that just government should do. They're real, folks. The ruling class is real. And they're taking control of more and more and more in our lives, and they end up making decisions and choices for us with very little, if any, of our input in what they're doing. It's a scary thing, folks. It's a scary thing. But hey, we're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. Thank you for being here today. Tomorrow, We'll close out the week with a big, big, big show and get you set to go. See you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., 9 to 11 a.m., Monday through Friday. TNN Live, produced by Truth News Network. See you then. One, two, three.